Good evening. We are thankful for your attendance this evening, the opportunity to be together. We hope and pray that your Lord's Day has been enjoyable. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you got your Sunday afternoon nap in. Um, but we're thankful that you have chosen to be back with us this evening as we assemble together and to worship God and to study his word for a few moments. We are uh, thankful so much for your kind words this morning and the several comments and thoughts and prayers uh, about the fact that we have been here for a year today. We just uh, enjoy it so much and appreciate the kind words this morning. But I'm getting kind of tired of having to make the tomato jokes, okay? Put the tomatoes down. We're bringing the tomatoes on Sunday night. It kind of undoes everything we've talked about so far, uh, but there have not been any thrown yet, so we're thankful for that. Um, but we love this congregation dearly. Enjoy um, the good time that we can have. I know that Charles and Carl and others love me when they give me a hard time. Uh, if they stop, maybe then I should be worried, but uh, the hard time that you get and give around here is part of our fun, and we appreciate it so much. Uh, Midge and I were talking before. She brought her camera Friday night. Uh, the game night and took some pictures and put them on Facebook. If you're on part of Facebook and want to look on there, uh, we had quite the, quite the good time. I, I know we had over 50. I didn't exactly get an exact count, but had over 50 on Friday night and enjoyed the fellowship. That comes along with, of course, the fellowship that we have here in our times of worship as well. We're going to continue tonight in our series, uh, the One Word series. Um, it feels like we had just done it a couple of Sundays ago, and that's true. Um, due to different, of course, scheduling conflicts, I was looking at my calendar. We've got two series right now we're doing on Sunday nights a month, and a couple of Sunday nights open for just you know other kinds of lessons. But this month, the third Sunday, I'll be gone with my family to polish in the pulpit, and several will be there. And then the last Sunday of the month, of course, is our scheduled time for uh, to be with North Hamilton for our singing. So there's only two Sunday nights. Uh, this month that I'll be speaking, and so we need to get in our One Word series, even though we just kind of did one of those recently, and as well our Book of the Month next Sunday night, God willing. But tonight we're ready to pick up with this continuation of looking at these words. Some of those may be a little small up there for you. I apologize that if your eyesight maybe is not so good. But I wanted to give you a brief recap of what we looked at so far. We talked, first of all, about some big picture words. The word, word, about Jesus being the word, the logos, uh, creation, sin, wrath, and grace. And then so far we've talked about Christian character. I believe this may be one of the bigger sections of the book, things that we would put into practice in our life. And we think about mercy and love, and tonight we are ready for forgiveness. I've told you that this is a 50-week, 52-week study that we're just taking across 52 months, God willing, uh, to think about one word each month as opposed to doing this every Sunday night of the year. But we are ready to discuss for a few moments tonight the idea of forgiveness. It always helps us to think about our English definition uh, somewhat. Maybe if you turn to it or you Google it as we do today on our phones or on the internet, you'll find something along this lines to stop feeling angry or resentful toward someone possibly for an offense, a flaw, or a mistake. When we think about forgiveness, and we're going to touch on some things tonight, it could be you thinking of a time that you needed to be forgiven. It could be you, of you thinking of someone who might have offended you and you needed to forgive them. But we come in contact with this a good bit in our lives. It's not a newsflash, but none of us are perfect. We sometimes run afoul of people and make mistakes even when we don't intend to. And that may be another story for another time, but we find ourselves in that position. But yet we may need forgiveness. And so it's important for us to consider this concept tonight. As we usually do, we try to take a brief word study and to look, first of all, in the Old Testament at the Hebrew. You find, first of all, a verb that is used, 
You know I'm not a, a pronunciation guy, but kalah uh, is the Old Testament word. This is a verb that is used. It's translated in the Old Testament to forgive or to pardon. Now, what's interesting when you look at this word, and I know that many of you will not have a Bible or the means to look at this in the Hebrew or the original language. But when you look at this word, it is only used in connection with God. Now, there are, of course, obviously other words used. There is forgiveness between people in other places in the Old Testament. But this is the main word, the only word that is used to is used only of God. W.E. Vine, some of you have maybe have a Vine's dictionary, but W.E. Vine notes that while other words are translated as to forgive, this is, this is the only word in the Old Testament that the primary meaning is to forgive. There's a second verb that goes along with it, and they are connected. This is kafar, and it is connected to this other word in the sense that they, in, in order to have um, excuse me, in order to have atonement, the kafar, the second word, atonement makes possible pardon, which is the first word. So they are connected. Kafar means to cover or to purge or to make an atonement. So the atonement that we make between people, certainly in that sense, makes possible the pardon. And so as you look through the Old Testament, you find these words in many different places. In the study that I was doing, I did not get a count on these particular words. Sometimes we uh, mention how many times they're used. But these are just a couple of the Hebrew words. When we go over to the New Testament and we think about the Greek, a key noun, this is a noun. Nouns, of course, are people, places, or things. So this is, is a thing in a sense of forgiveness. This aphasis is the act the noun, the act of freeing or liberating. Freeing or liberating. We understand that concept. We know the idea of slavery. We read it in the Bible. We think about it in, the, uh, in not only in the New Testament, even in our lives or the history of our world. But the idea of slavery, of needing to be freed or liberated. Well, this would be the word that is used in the New Testament often to connect with that. By the way, one of the primary places that it is used... Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. If you think about Acts 2 and verse 38, you don't read the word forgiveness necessarily depending on the version that you're looking at, but you read that they were told to do what? Repent and be baptized for the aphasis, for the remission of sins. When you read that word remission, this word in the Greek is sometimes translated in the style of forgiveness and other times it is translated as remission. But it carries with us that carries with it this idea of freedom or being liberated. When we are baptized for the remission of our sins, then we are freed in that sense from that. We are liberated from the debt of sin. So this word is used there for the remission of sins in Acts chapter two and verse number thirty-eight. One of the other one of the verbs that is used in the New Testament, and I'll give you a second. Uh, my children chide me for going too fast. And so when you're having to write down some of these words when you're uh, filling in the blanks, you may take a minute there to write this down. But this word, the second word on the screen, uh, is a word that is used in the verb sense to think about forgiving, to think about pardon. And when we think about this word being used in the New Testament, this is actually, we might call it Paul's favorite verb. This is Paul's favorite verb for the idea to forgive. If you've got your Bibles, look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 32. 
Romans 8 and verse number 32. Again, depending on the version that you're looking at, and we know that sometimes with translations and with words. But Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The word we're looking at, or the words, is freely give. That's this second word that is on the screen here that is a verb meaning to forgive. It is translated sometimes as to give or to grant. So here it says that he, how he, shall he not give us all things? That's this particular word. But it carries with it, and Paul uses a lot, the idea of showing oneself to be gracious and to show oneself to be gracious by forgiving of wrongdoing. When we think about the way the Bible discusses it, there's a whole lot of passages that we could look at a whole lot of places that these words and even the Old Testament words are used. But as we oftentimes do with our studies, what I'd like for us to do in the rest of our lesson is to take a look at some application and some thoughts that continue this and help us to make uh, some thought of something how we can put this into practice in our life. There's going to be three main thoughts tonight. The first one is the idea of forgiving yourself. And the question, can you forgive yourself? Can you forgive yourself? If you've got your Bibles, turn to the account of Luke. Luke's account of the gospel in Luke chapter 22 and verses 31 through 32. Luke 22, 31 through 32. Can you forgive yourself? Think with me for just a moment, if you will, about the spectrum that people are sometimes on in this regard. In our society today, there are people sometimes, on one hand, who never have a problem forgiving themselves. Now the reason is, is because they don't accept blame for anything that they do. Sometimes they'll point the finger at their parents or their teachers, <clears throat> excuse me, or their boss or the referee or their coach or anybody that is standing nearby. They won't take any blame, so then there's no reason to forgive themselves. But then on the other hand, some people are so burdened by guilt they're so super sensitive, if you will, to their own mistakes and their own sins that they're not even able to move sometimes because they have kind of have this self-imposed doom, if you will, because of all that they do. Even though they hear the good news of God's love, even though they hear sermons and Bible classes on forgiveness and love, they can't bring themselves to believe that the God of heaven would forgive them of something. Can you see how this would be one of Satan's favorite schemes, if you will? Can you see how Satan would love to take this tool and use it against us, against mankind? Because we sometimes like extremes. Even as we pray for our country today, we see extremes on either hand and people fall into one category or the other. And sometimes you won't accept any blame, so there's no need for forgiveness. And other times you won't accept it because of the way that you feel. Guilt can hold us and prevent us from doing some of the things that we need to do from putting God in the first place, as we even talked about this morning. Consider with me for just a moment in this regard, two of Jesus's own apostles who committed sin. One of them was Judas. Judas betrays Jesus to his enemies. And of course, this leads directly to the crucifixion of Jesus and his death upon the cross. Judas feels let down. Or that he has let down his best friend, in a sense, if you will. He feels like he's let down his teacher. He feels guilt. He feels sorrow for what he has done. 
how does Judas respond? Well, you know, Judas does not seek forgiveness, nor does he forgive himself. He takes his own life in the end, and that is how he handles the guilt that he feels. How does Peter respond? Think about Peter, secondly. If you got your Bible, I ask you to turn to Luke 22, 31 through 32 there. Remember that the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fall. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see another passage there you can be turning to on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We've thought about Judas, but consider Peter for a moment. Peter denies Jesus. After Jesus has been arrested in his own trial, Peter denies him. Peter feels like he's let down his best friend and his teacher and his Lord. Peter feels horrible guilt and sorrow. But Peter allows Christ's pardon to lift his burden and change his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 9 through 10, Paul talks about godly sorrow and repentance. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul talks here about godly sorrow. This is what Peter shows as he repents. He repents, he accepts the Lord's forgiveness, and he moves forward serving the Lord. Judas allows his sin to lead to him to despair and, of course, ultimately to death. When we turn back to God, when we turn back to God, God is willing to forgive. The question for us is, will we forgive ourselves? It's a struggle sometimes. You might be thinking to yourself and looking at me saying, well, depends on what I've done. Depends on the sin. When I've committed a, what I would consider to be a big sin, I have a harder time than when I've just kind of done something I didn't even mean to do. I understand that. But we must forgive ourselves and be willing to forgive others. But even as we talked about this morning, first, we must forgive ourselves and be willing to move forward. Because we know that, by, that the Bible teaches that God is willing to do just that. The second point tonight is that we remember that Saul was in need of forgiveness as well. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 9 is where we find the account, of course, of the conversion from Saul to Paul, if you will. That road to Damascus and what takes place in his life. But consider with me for just a moment as you turn there and as you think about what takes place here in Acts 9, that Saul is in no man's land. Saul is in no man's land. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean the fact that he was just a few verses ago going to Damascus not to be baptized, but to find more Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem and to see them put to death. All at his hand. All at what, that's what he was after and what he wanted to do. But we know what takes place there. In fact, look back at Acts chapter 9 there in verse number 1. Remember how Saul was going about. He was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And so we begin the story of how he is going to be on the road to Damascus and then get to Damascus. But we come to about verse number 20 
And moving on down to verse number 26, and Saul finds himself in no man's land. He's no longer breathing these accusations. He is no longer breathing these threats and murders. In fact, he himself is now a Christian. How is everyone else going to respond to that? That's the no man's land that he is in. And if you're filling in the notes there, we would notice that Saul was going to need an advocate. He was going to need an advocate. Put yourself in these people's shoes for a minute. Can you imagine that they're huddled around there? That they're all standing and they're talking? And Saul just kind of wanders up to the group. What are, that, what are most of them going to do? They're going to scatter, right? They're going to go running away like bugs on the ground or ants. They're going to go running because Saul just kind of saunters on up like, like he's got nothing better to do. You're going to be hiding and running as fast as you can, hoping he doesn't grab you and take you to be killed. But if you wait just a moment, you notice that that's not what he's after. But I have a feeling what we just described is what happens most of the time. He's knocking on doors. He's going around. He's trying to talk to people. And nobody wants to listen. Nobody wants to hear him because they know who he is and they know what he is about. He needs help and he needs an advocate for forgiveness. He needs someone who can speak on his behalf. And so when we come to verses 26 through 28, we meet Barnabas or we read about Barnabas again. And Barnabas takes him and brings him to the apostles. Barnabas is going to declare to them there in verse number 27 of what had happened. And what he had been doing. And Barnabas is going to be an advocate just as we read on the pages of the New Testament that Jesus is an advocate for us with the Father. Barnabas is going to be an advocate for Saul to those other disciples. Trying to convince them that he has made a change. And if there's anybody, anybody in the world who you would have a hard time believing would change from one side to the other, it would have been Saul. What's inter interesting for us to consider with this idea of forgiveness is one day we may be the very person who is needed to be an advocate for forgiveness. Perhaps one day someone will respond to the Lord's invitation, even here in this building, even here on this front pew, and they're going to ask for forgiveness of sin. And it may be that you have an opportunity to speak a good word or to give an example and show the example of love and acceptance. Perhaps you have two friends who are in conflict and you can lead them to resolution and forgiveness. Like Barnabas, we have to be about the business of reconciliation. The business of forgiveness. The business of sometimes being an advocate for others. When we consider what Barnabas was willing to do for Saul and the need that Saul had, it's great. It was a great need to try to be accepted after the way he had lived. But Barnabas was willing to do that. And as we think about making application to our lives, the possibility may exist that we may either stand in need of it or that we can help someone out. And this is a pretty good example of that. If you're filling in the blanks there at the bottom of your notes, we're going to talk about the key, <clears throat> excuse me, the key to forgiveness. And we're going to get to the answer to the rest of the blanks there in just a moment. But I'd like for us to look at a few passages. The first one is Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As we go through this last point here together, how important is it that we are able to forgive others? How important is it that we can take that step and forgive others? You may recall in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 14 through 15 that Jesus says that our forgiveness depends on our willingness to forgive others. As he's praying there. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive 
In verse 15, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's a pretty big statement to make there when we think about forgiveness, forgiving others. How important is it that we are able to forgive others? Jesus says that we have to or else God will not forgive us. Maybe you remember the passage in Matthew chapter 18 and verses 23 through 25. There Jesus gives a parable of the unforgiving servant. You may recall from this passage there in Matthew 18 of the man who was forgiven the great debt. And he goes out and he finds the man who owed him the small debt. And he's going to tie him up. He's going to lock him up and throw away the key. He doesn't deserve it. Even though he had been forgiven a much larger sum of money. He's going to go after the man who owes him just a little. And of course we see in that example there. If you remember that parable that it is told. So that the king finds out about it. Or the master finds out about it. And calls him in verse number 32 there. The wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you. Jesus was the master teacher. He knew exactly how to put things into perspective. And he says it at one point, And he comes back later and he gives the parable and the exact example of how to do it. And what it looks like when we're not doing it. So that all the people who are gathered around and of course us even by the Holy Bible today can look and see exactly what that means. What's interesting here is the concept with forgiveness of a good memory and a bad memory. Good memory and bad memory. Let me explain. Sometimes we say when it comes to forgiveness that you need to have a bad memory. And we shorten that up to say forgive and forget. When we interact with our fellow brothers and sisters and others in the world, we need to forgive and forget. So we need to have a bad memory. But there's a little bit of a different admonition here in the scripture that maybe sometimes we need to have a good memory. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13, Paul goes on to say, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The key to forgiveness is not real difficult. The key to forgiveness is to remember you were forgiven. I was forgiven. Anyone who is willing to put on Christ in baptism to submit themselves in humble obedience to the will of God is forgiven. That's the key. And we do sometimes. We put things into categories and we say, well, he told a lie about me or she was gossiping about me. Well, he murdered my parents or he or she did something else. And we categorize things and we feel like that we should be the judge and jury and executioner and that's it. The key to forgiveness is remembering that I was forgiven. I might not have done what that person did, but they have an opportunity to be forgiven just like I do. The key to forgiveness is remembering that Christ has shown us forgiveness. The forgiveness that Christ has shown us will always be a reminder to respond graciously to others. Think about the words that we sing sometimes in the song for, depending on the, the songbook you may be looking at, for such a worm as I. That's the way we feel sometimes. We feel lower than low. And we get to rock bottom as we sometimes say, 
and we be, we're lifted up by brothers and sisters or by the love and forgiveness of Christ. And then we turn around and just like that unforgiving servant, we continue to push someone else down and not forgive them, not show that same forgiveness. I think forgiving and forgetting is one of the hardest things that we can do. We, in our feeble human mind, struggle sometimes to forgive and to forget. That's tough. That's tough sometimes. But yet other times, it may be helpful. One more passage in the lesson will be yours. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22. The Hebrew writer reminds us here as he's talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament in a sense. And he says there in verse number, number 16 of Hebrews 9, For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Jesus had to die in order for the New Testament, the new law, to go into effect. And in verse number 22, he says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. The word there for remission is the same word that's used in Acts 2.38. It's the word that we looked at earlier of aphasis and the idea there of forgiveness. I'm told, as I understand and read it, that sometimes in maybe the New Testament time there in the first century, they had a habit sometimes of taking stone and when you sinned or someone sinned, they would etch that into the stone. You want to talk about remembering and having trouble forgetting, they would etch that into the stone and then when forgiveness was given at times they would take a wax and they would fill in that stone they would fill in that etching where that etching had been signifying the sin that you had committed there's several interesting thoughts there in regards to the idea of being forgiven being able to forgive but yet not really forget being able to forgive but not really ever do away with the damage that we've done sometimes with our sin Forgiveness can be tough. And hopefully tonight as you consider this lesson, lesson and you go forward thinking about this topic, you'll remember this key. That you were forgiven and we have a responsibility to forgive others. Tonight, the first question as we are about to sing this invitation song is, have you been forgiven? Have you had your sins washed away by the blood of Christ? Maybe you haven't. It is a great and wonderful feeling. It is an opportunity that we present each time we're assembled together. That you can submit yourself to God by obeying his simple plan of salvation. Allowing the blood of Christ to wash away your sins. To be remembered no more. And then you can move forward serving him. He will add you to his church and you can begin to live faithfully even up until the point of death. Tonight a second question might be are you showing forgiveness toward others? There may be some sin in your life that's separating you from God. Maybe it deals with forgiveness. Maybe it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Sometimes our lessons don't exactly tie in to the idea of the invitation and responding. Maybe it's forgiveness you're struggling with. Maybe it's something else. A song has been selected, though, that as we sing its words together, that maybe there is something that would encourage you to make a change. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's not. Maybe there is just something that you recognize that is amiss in your life. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation to encourage you on your Christian walk. As we said this morning, this congregation is kind. It's loving. We care for one another. We sing these songs of encouragement. We take these times together in order to build one another up. The ultimate goal is heaven. 
My ultimate goal of, is heaven, and I think that your ultimate goal is heaven as well. And we have the opportunity to encourage one another to get there, even now as we stand together and as we sing.